Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, how do we know that Hamas's barbaric treatment of the Israelites has absolutely nothing to do with any dispute over land or any alleged negative treatment by Israel. How do we know that's the case? Well, we're going to get into it today. Uh, We're going to look at that question because it is true that what's going on in Israel and what has been going on in the dispute between Hamas and Israel has zero to do with who has what piece of land. And I'm going to show you why that is a little bit later in the program. Uh, we're going to shatter some myths about the situation, and we're going to do so with the help of Ben Shapiro. I don't know if you have been tracking with anything Ben has been saying about this over the past 10 days or so, but I want to play you here in just a minute uh, a video that he has at the top of his YouTube channel where he goes through four myths that people believe about this situation that he debunks. Now, it's only an eight-minute video. I know there's nuance that he can't bring out in only eight minutes, but I agree with his four myths. And let me just state the four myths up front so you can listen for them as they come. The first myth is that Israel is historically Muslim territory. It's not. He'll say so, and I'll expound upon that. The second myth is that Israel caused the problem of land partition in the Middle East. Israel did not cause the problem. We will talk about that, and it's not really a problem in this dispute. We'll explain that after the video. The third myth that Shapiro brings up is that Israel expelled all Palestinian, all, all Palestinian Arabs from the new state of Israel that began in 1948. That is also false. And you'll actually hear the first prime minister, Ben Gurion, of, of Israel from an old, old clip back in the 40s, him claiming no. They left on their own free will, or Arab leaders told them to leave. And the fourth myth that you'll hear in this short video is that Israel is an apartheid state. It is clearly not an apartheid state, despite the misinformation you'll hear from some college professors and other undergrads who simply do not know what they're talking about. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, well, Ben Shapiro, what kind of a source is he? He's an Orthodox Jew. You can't trust him. He's biased. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is what is known as the genetic fallacy in logic. Just because someone may have a personal position or perhaps even a personal bias doesn't mean they're lying. I mean, it might mean you have to look at the facts to discover that, but you can't just dismiss what someone says because of their worldview. And I challenge anyone to 
to point out why what Shapiro says in this short video is false. It's not false. He's speaking the truth. Now, it's it's better to see this video because obviously it is a video and he's showing you images as he's giving you this narration. If you want to see the video, I recommend you go to the Ben Shapiro YouTube channel. It's the highlighted uh, primary video that will start playing when you go to his YouTube channel. Uh, if not, uh, I'll give you the name of it right after this so you can find it. It's only eight minutes long. It's worth listening to the audio. Here we go. The things that we've been seeing on our screens from Hamas are atrocities, obviously. But the media have said that these atrocities, they're really missing context. The context they are providing, well, that context is a bunch of lies. There are four myths generally propagated by the left around the history of Israel and the Palestinians. These myths matter because they lead people into a peculiar moral relativism whereby attempted murder or successful murder of Jews is excused, and meanwhile, the evil human rights violations of the Palestinians are minimized. Myth number one, Israel is historically Muslim territory. This is a pure and absolute lie. Israel is historically Jewish territory. According to the Bible and certain interpretations of contemporaneous archeology, span Joshua entered the land of Israel in 1400 BC. The Kingdom of David was founded around 1000 BC. The first Temple of Solomon was built in approximately 957 BC. The second temple was built in approximately 515 BC. The Hasmonean Dynasty was founded in 166 BC. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 BC, and the Jews exiled from Israel in 136 CE after the defeat of the Bar Kokhba Revolt. The Romans, in an attempt to shame the Jews, renamed the area Palestine as an insult after the Jews' historic enemy, the Philistines. Even during the exile, there was continuous Jewish presence in the land. Islam, which is the religion of the Palestinian Arabs, was not even founded until the 7th century CE or AD. No independent Arab state has ever existed in the area known as Palestine. Myth number two, Israel is the cause of the failure of land partition in the Middle East. This is, again, a pure lie. In 1917, the British promised the Jews the entire area of Palestine, at the time, Israel and Transjordan, which is today's Jordan. In 1920, the Arabs began pogroms, a mass murder of Jews, in Jerusalem, as a sign of anger at the British mandate in Palestine. In 1922, the British government, in response, announced in a white paper that the Transjordan area, 70% of Palestine, would be sliced off and made an Arab state. That would become Jordan. In 1937, the Peel Commission recommended a rump state for the Jews, in which the British would retain control over Jaffa and Jerusalem, the Arabs would get the entire Negev and nearly the entirety of Judea and Samaria, and the Jews would get a tiny swath of territory along the coast, including Tel Aviv and Haifa. In 1939, the British, in response again to Arab pressure, restricted Jewish immigration to Palestine just as the Nazis began World War II and just before the Holocaust. Nonetheless, the Jews sided with the Brits, the Arabs sided with Hitler. In 1948, the British mandate ended and Israel declared its independence. David Ben-Gurion read the proclamation of independence to 13 other members of the Israel Provisional National Council. Israel had taken its place among the nations of the world. In 1964, with the Arabs still in full control of the Gaza Strip and West Bank, the Palestine Liberation Organization was founded, calling for the destruction of Israel. Here is a contemporaneous British report and the first chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization. One of the most extreme anti-Israeli politicians in the Arab world, Ahmed El-Shukeri. 
the leader of the Palestine Liberation Organization. As the spokesman for one million Palestine refugees, he's fanned the flames of hatred for Israel with unflagging energy. In 1967, the Arab League announced the three no's. No peace, no recognition, no negotiations. With all of Israel's enemies mobilizing against it, Israel launched a preemptive strike on the Egyptian Air Force, inaugurating the 1967 Six-Day War. This ended with Israel gaining miraculously the Sinai Desert, the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, Judea and Samaria, now known as the West Bank, as well as the entirety of Jerusalem. In 1973, the Arabs launched all-out war again, this time on Yom Kippur. Israel survived and gained territory. In 1979, Israel gave the Sinai back to Egypt in return for peace. In 1993, Israel agreed to the Oslo Accords, which promised a step-by-step -step process to establish a Palestinian state. In 1998, Israel conceded yet more territory to the Palestinian Authority under the prime ministership of Benjamin Netanyahu. In 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak offered Yasser Arafat, the terrorist leader of the Palestinian Authority, 91% control over the West Bank in contiguous territory and an Israeli security presence along 15% of the border with Jordan. Arafat walked away from the table and began the Second Intifada, a massive terror wave that ended with the death of thousands of Jews. In 2005, Israel unilaterally withdrew from the Gaza Strip. Hamas immediately took it over and began using it as a base for terrorist activity. That continues until this day. In 2008, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert offered even more than Barak in terms of territory, with some land swaps to maintain Jewish populated areas in exchange for some Israeli territory. Olmert even offered to relinquish Israeli sovereignty at the Temple Mount, the holiest site in Judaism, as well as the entire old city of Jerusalem to a five-member non-sovereign international trusteeship comprising Israel, the PA, Jordan, the US, and Saudi Arabia. PA head Mahmoud Abbas walked away without a counteroffer. Myth number three, Israel expelled all Palestinian Arabs from British Mandate Palestine. This is, again, a lie. Israel's founding documents asked Arabs to stay. Israel's Declaration of Independence in the middle of an ongoing war with Arab nations reads, quote, we appeal in the very midst of the onslaught launched against us now for months to the Arab inhabitants of the state of Israel to preserve peace and participate in the upbuilding of the state on the basis of full and equal citizenship and due representation in all its provisional and permanent institutions. Debate has raged for decades over how many Arabs left the nascent state of Israel thanks to expulsion and how many left because they were told to leave by their own leaders. An estimated 250,000 to 300,000 refugees left before their homes were even in a war zone. We didn't compel them to leave. They left on their own will, or rather on the will of Arab leaders, who advised them even before trouble started. The collapse of Arab society during the 1947-48 war, leaving many Arabs without a means of support, has been well documented. Israel will do everything in its power to help the resettlement of these refugees by paying compensation and by other means. Hundreds of thousands of these refugees ended up in the West Bank and Gaza, which remained Arab territory until 1967. Furthermore, Arab nations refused to take in hundreds of thousands of Arabs, turning their co-religionists into refugees who have maintained that status for literally decades, a situation unparalleled in human history. Fully 62% of such refugees live outside the West Bank and Gaza Strip, according to the UNRWA. Meanwhile, Israel, tiny Israel, took in over 800,000 Jews expelled from Arab lands between 1948 and 1951 and never asked for land to be returned to those Jews. Myth number four, Israel is an apartheid state. Israel is most certainly not an apartheid state. Arab citizens of Israel have the same rights as Jewish citizens. 20% of all citizens of Israel are Arab. The vast majority of Palestinians live under Palestinian rule in the West Bank. All Arabs in the Gaza Strip lived under Hamas rule. 
Israel's population, again, is 20% Arab. Arab parties have sat in the Israeli government, and Arab sits on Israel's Supreme Court. There are zero Jews living under Palestinian rule. The only apartheid state is any state of Palestine. All of these myths have consequences. All of these lies have consequences. They lead to a pseudo-sophisticated context that allows for the murder of Jews. It allows people in the West to believe that the grievances that are openly articulated by the Palestinian Authority, Islamic Jihad, and Hamas are actually about territory. Hamas openly calls for the murder of every Jew in the region. The Palestinian Authority gives actual bounties to the families of terrorists. Islamic Jihad has the same exact goals as Hamas. When evil people say they want to wipe Jews off the face of the earth, we ought to listen, not make up silly excuses as to why they don't actually mean what they say. The consequences of buying your own lies, not even their lies, your own lies, is dead Jews. The world has witnessed the heinous attack by Hamas terrorists against innocent Israeli citizens. This massive and devastating attack killed over a thousand Israeli men, women, children, babies. Thousands more were injured, kidnapped, held hostage. This sworn enemy of Israel will stop at nothing to slaughter every single Jew and claim Israel as their own. But there is a beacon of hope amidst the chaos. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is on the ground right now, providing critical essentials like food, medicine, and other emergency supplies for vulnerable Jews who need immediate help. But the need is massive and urgent. This great organization needs your help right now. To donate, please go to benforthefellowship.org. Give as generously as you can. Write it down. That's benforthefellowship.org. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that video by Ben Shapiro is at the top of his YouTube channel. The title of it is You're Being Lied to About Israel and Palestine. Facts, episode five. Right now, as I say, it's it's the current uh, headliner on his YouTube channel. Right now, it has almost 1.4 million views. And let me just go over those four points again very quickly. The first myth is that Israel histor is historically Muslim territory. That's a myth because, as he points out, we know that the Jews were in the area as early as 1400 BC, of course, they were in the area prior to that with Abraham, but Jericho and Joshua, we've been going through uh, on our Monday night digging through the Bible or digging up the Bible archaeology course that we filmed for our TV program. We just a couple episodes ago did an entire video on Jericho. And it's unbelievable when you look at the archaeological evidence for Jericho you can only conclude that the book of Joshua is an eyewitness account of what happened at Jericho because the archaeology lines up oddly with what Joshua says. I said oddly because the way the walls fell down, they came straight down as if there was an earthquake. And only one section of the wall remained, probably where Rahab was. Also, we know when it happened, about 1400 B.C. We also know it was right after harvest, and they did not plunder the town. They didn't take the grain out of the town because we found jars with grain in it. So what the Bible in Joshua declares happened to Jericho appears to have actually happened according to the archaeology. How would Joshua know that, or the person, whoever wrote Joshua, how would they know that unless it was an eyewitness account? The Jews, of course, were in the land long before the Muslims ever got there. Islam began with Muhammad's alleged visit by an angel in 610 AD. This happened in 1400 B.C., and as Ben went through, all of the events that we know occurred in the Old Testament are long before Muslims ever got to the land. 
So it's just ridiculous to say that Israel is historically Muslim territory. No, it's historically Jewish territory. The second uh, fallacy he pointed out is that the land partition problem uh, was not the work of the Jews. It was actually the work of the British because they're the ones that divided it up. And then when there were wars, first of all, the Six-Day War in 1967, when the Arabs were about to attack Israel, uh, Israel preempted their attack and took a bunch of land, including the Sinai Peninsula, which they gave back in 1979. Then there was another war in 1973 that the Arabs started. And land deals are always rejected by the by Hamas or the PLO. Why? That's the key to our discussion today. I'm going to get to it. The third myth he dealt with was the fact that Israel expelled all Palestinian Arabs from the new state. You may have heard that scratchy audio in the video. That was Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, saying we did not want the Arabs to leave. They left on their own free will or uh, they uh, were told by their Arab leaders to leave. And as Ben pointed out, Uh, 62% of the people that were there have left the area altogether. And isn't it interesting as well that right now with the crisis in the Gaza Strip, Egypt doesn't want the Palestinians. Jordan doesn't want the Palestinians. None of these uh, these Muslim countries want their own co-religionists. Why is that? Why is that? Because they know these people are, many of them are violent. Of course, not all of them in the Gaza Strip are. Uh, The fourth issue he mentioned was the fact that Israel is an apartheid state. It's not. 20% of people that live in Israel are Arabs, and they have the same rights, the same voting rights as anyone else. In fact, there are Arabs in the Knesset. There's a, as they pointed out, there's a, there's a Muslim Supreme Court justice on the, on the, on the Israeli Supreme Court. So it's not an apartheid state. It's just It's just a a myth to think it is. Now, this is not to say that Israel, the government of Israel, has always acted properly. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying is that the myths that you hear about that are allegedly causing the Hamas people to do what they do are just that. They're myths. They're not truths. And as you pointed out, or as I should say, as Ben pointed out at the end of that video, Islamic Jihad has the same goals as Hamas. Now, let me deal with the main issue we're talking about today, something that Ben just hinted at in the video, but didn't expound. And here's the question we're dealing with. How do we know that Hamas's barbaric treatment of the Israelites has absolutely nothing to do with a dispute over land or any other alleged negative treatment by Israel? Well, the way to answer that question is with another question. Here it is. Did Muslim aggression toward Jews begin in 1948 when the modern state of Israel began? Of course not. It goes all the way back 1,400 years to Muhammad himself and the teachings of the Quran and the Hadith. The Hadith, the written traditions of what Muhammad apparently said and did. According to the biographer of Muhammad, Ibn Ishaq, Muhammad said, kill any Jew that comes into your power. And we could read Quranic verse after Quranic verse and Hadith quotation after Hadith quotation that that says that that's what these people wanted to do from the beginning. And 
I, I guess we just don't read in America anymore. But if you read the Hamas Charter, let me read, let me read from Article 7 of the Hamas Charter from 1988. The day of judgment will not come. This is Article 7. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews. They think they're bringing in the day of judgment by killing Jews. And here's the slogan of the Islamic resistance movement, also known as Hamas. Article 8. Allah is its target. The prophet is its model. The Quran is its constitution. Jihad is the path and death for the sake of Allah is the loftiest of its wishes. Jihad. And here is the coup de grace here. This is the ultimate reason why we know this has nothing to do with land. Article 13 of the Hamas Charter. I'm quoting. There is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavors. Did you hear that? Unquote. That's the unquote. When they say vain endeavors. There is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. All of these so-called land deals, waste of time and vain endeavors. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why every land offer has been rejected. They told us in advance right in their charter. We just didn't want to believe it. We don't want to believe that people are so barbaric that they will murder babies in their beds and torture women and children who are civilians. We don't want to believe this. We don't want to believe that this is anything but a land squabble. It's not a land squabble, other than the fact that these people want Jews in every land murdered. And they're not fond of Christians either, as you know. In fact, if you're a Christian in a Muslim land, you either have to convert or pay the tax. So this has nothing to do with land. It's just an excuse to propagandize the world to think that the Jews have somehow been unjust in their use of that land there or their presence in that land. And that is why these Hamas people are led to fight for freedom. It's, it's not what it is, ladies and gentlemen. It never has been. This has been going on for 1,400 years, long before 1948. And it's in their charter. They quote the Quran and the Hadith and Muhammad over and over again in the charter. We just don't want to believe them. Now, what about war? Just war. Is, is, is it just to fight against this? I'm now going to reference a breakpoint column by my friend uh, John Stone Street and Glenn Sunshine. They put this together a few days ago. I'm going to read from portions of it. This might be enlightening if you don't know much history because they start talking about the barbaric attacks of Hamas. And then they say this. Modern notions of just war, proportionality, and distinguishing between civilians and combatants are exceptions to the kinds of warfare conducted by the Assyrians and Babylonians 
ancient Greece, the Vikings, the Mongols, and the Aztecs. Massacre sites found by archaeologists in North America reveal how entire villages were slaughtered by Native Americans centuries before European contact. Similar barbarity continues today, especially in modern undeclared undeclared wars, such as the Rwandan genocide, the actions of terror groups like Boko Haram. By the way, Boko Haram has killed 80,000 Christians since 2009 in Nigeria. That's a Muslim group. Anyway, I digress. Let me continue. And in African civilian wars, by the way, I got to stop again. That's why we're going to uh, Africa. We're about to, and I'll tell you about this in future podcasts. I don't want to get bogged down here, but we're about to translate our 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 most popular stuff into the top seven languages in Africa to help these people over there because they're in a life and death struggle with with Islam. I mean, literally. And there's 643 Christians, 643 million Christians below the Sahara Desert. And Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. I'm going to be announcing more of this in future podcasts. I don't want to get bogged down, but we're we're pointing out here that this kind of terror is going on in, in, in places like Africa as well. Close parallels can be seen in the horrific treatment by government actors in China, in Burma, and in North Korea. And they go on to say, this should sicken us. But Where did the world get the idea that all this barbarity is so wrong? And here's what John Stone Street and Glenn Sunshine say, quote, the idea that non-combatants should not be killed in war can occasionally be found in ancient discussions of warfare, typically due to pragmatic reasons, such as needing peasants to work the conquered land. In other words, you know, why would you kill all these people when you can just enslave them and make them farm for you? Anyway, they go on to say this. Christian just war theory, in sharp contrast, saw the protection of non-combatants as a matter of principle, not pragmatism. That principle was grounded in a view of human value, unique and distinct to Christianity that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. Despite the Enlightenment's hostility to faith and the pervasive scientism of the 19th century, Christian ideals about just war and the value of the individual retained a strong enough hold on Western culture to shape the Geneva Conventions on the conduct of war. Also, Western domination ensured that countries and military officers would be held accountable for systematic violations of the conventions as happened, for example, in the Nuremberg trials after World War II. They go on to say this, Islam rejects as idolatry the idea that humans are made in the image of God. The Hadiths, a source of Islamic authority, second only to the Quran, calls for the extermination of the Jews, a fact explicitly noted in the Hamas charter. And they go on to say, without grounding for the value and dignity of individuals, a group can be easily defined as other, which justifies all actions carried out against them. And in fact, Ben Shapiro has highlighted on his YouTube channel some Hamas leaders claiming, literally on video, that the Jews love life, but we love death. Hamas, we. Hamas, we love death. And we're actually going to put our children in harm's way. Because we love martyrs. 
and we want to propagandize what, what Israel does in retaliation. We want the world to think Israel is committing war crimes because they're killing children. Well, why are they? They're killing children inadvertently because you're putting your children in front of you in battle. Israel right now is telling certain uh, buildings, people that live in buildings over there, they're about to blow up. They're warning them hours in advance. Get out. We're going to blow up the building. And the Hamas leaders are telling their people, stay in the building. We want you to die. This is madness. Stone Street and Sunshine go on to say it's important to note that the rejection of the value of each person also means Hamas can use their own people as pawns and agents of propaganda. Thus, Hamas places missiles and military centers in hospitals and schools, knowing that any attacks will lead to civilian casualties that can be paraded before the rest of the world. In other words, dead women and children are the intended plan not the unintended consequence or the unexpected consequence. They go on to say, so when civilians die as an unintended but inevitable consequence, these deaths are on the heads of Hamas for intentionally placing their civilians in harm's way. That's exactly right. And then the the the, the pointy-headed leftists here in America are going to say, oh, Israel is barbaric. No, it's Hamas that's barbaric. Israel's defending itself. And we're going to see why they need to defend themselves here in a minute. Let me continue with this piece from Stone Street. Given the politics and history of the region, it is expected for many in the Middle East to cheer on Hamas's mass massacres while decrying any response by Israel. Their reaction is shaped by a culture, a culture that has been shaped by an Islamicist worldview. On the other hand, Many of those Western nations who defended or even celebrated the massacre in Israel have been shaped by a different set of worldview assumptions that what might be called a critical theory or critical theory mood. And they go on to say, by the way, this is why you have people, and we're going to talk about this next week when we have Jay Richards on the show. We have people that side with the Palestinians because they interpret the Palestinians to be oppressed. Regardless of whether or not the Palestinians are the aggressors and the oppressors, they're going to they're going to look at the Palestinians as being oppressed, and so they can't be wrong. That's critical theory. Anybody who's oppressed can't be wrong. Just like any minority that actually is racist can't be racist because they're a minority. This is critical theory. And we'll unpack this further in the next podcast, so um, just wait for that. In any event, let me finish the piece here by by Stone Street and Sunshine. With the decline of Christian influence in the West, we should expect to see a resurgence in the kind of bloodlust and sadism that characterize most of human history. All this underscores why, why worldview is important. Christianity is and has been good for the world and its decline will bring horrific consequences. Exactly. Now, before I get into the final portion here, which is going to point out what the solution to this is, or at least what Israel must do. I want to point out there's a number of events that uh, that we'll be conducting over the next couple of weeks that if you're in the area, I would love to see you. October 19th, Ohio State. That's this Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Details on the website. That couple days later, on October 23rd, we're starting the Galatians online course. I'll be your instructor 
for the entire thing. If you take the premium version, you'll be with me on at least six occasions for Zoom sessions, Q&A Zoom sessions. We're going through Galatians verse by verse. If you're hearing this after October 23rd, there's still time to join. That same day, October 23rd, we'll be at Northwest Missouri State in Maryville, Missouri. The next night, uh, which is October 24th, we'll be at Missouri Western State University in St. Joseph, Missouri. I think that one we're going to do, If God, Why Evil? Uh, and uh, the first night is, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, if I'm not mistaken. Those may be flip-flop, but I think we're doing we're doing the evil presentation, the evil presentation, on uh, October 24th. Then, a couple days later, October 26th, Auburn University. They've had several baptisms there. I'm interested to see what's going on down there in the War Eagle campus. Anyone can attend. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Then, October 30th, online, we'll be doing Digging Up the Bible. We're going through the top archaeological discoveries. It will be live streamed on our YouTube channel and just kept up for a few days after that. Uh, that will be October 30th, 7.30 p.m. November 2nd, University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio, for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Again, anyone can come to that. Then November 4th, out in Nashville, just south of Nashville, we'll be at the Unshaken Conference with my friends, the great Natasha Crane and the equally great Elisa Childers. Go to unshakenconference.com if you want more on that. Okay, next week, we're going to have Jay Richards on, and we just recorded that at the Steadfast Apologetics Conference just a few days ago. And uh, Jay talked about a, he gave a phrase, which I think is spot on. He talked about the fact that quite often we uh, opponents of Christianity <clears throat> weaponize our compassion. What does that mean? Well, they know we, we are for love. They know we are for equality. They know we are for fairness, that we ought to be empathetic. And we know we, we have a tendency to want to work things out. So people try and play on those qualities that we have and try and make us think that we just have to affirm everything that goes on in the name of love, equality, fairness, empathy, and can't we all just work this out? But as we've spoken about many times on this program, <clears throat> uh, false compassion is not the same as true compassion. Love does not mean approval. You don't approve of everything someone wants to do. Every parent knows this. If you approve of everything your 13-year-old wants to do, you're not loving, you're unloving. You're, you're an enabler. You're enabling that child to go down the wrong road when you approve of the evil that that child wants to do. So love doesn't mean approval. And the same thing is true when it comes to the situation right now between Israel and Hamas. Love does not mean affirming Hamas. Love does not mean allowing people to get away with murder and leaving murderers on the street so they can murder again, especially murderers who not only torture, rape, and kill children, but murderers who use their own children as human shields and allow them to be killed for propaganda purposes, which is what Hamas does. These people deserve the death penalty, not only as punishment for their horrific crimes, but also so they, will, so they will never have the opportunity to commit their demonic acts again. And the punishment is also a deterrent to others. 
So this idea that Israel should not retaliate, it's, I mean, it's, it's just madness when these more than a thousand innocent civilians are killed and then everybody on the left calls for a ceasefire. Imagine somebody comes into your house, murders your family, and then some, imagine if someone were to claim, oh, well, we, we can't retaliate. We, we, can't, we can't have any justice here. We can't uh, figure out who did it and lock them up. No, every, you just got to stop now. That would be madness. That's not fair. That's not just. That doesn't protect people moving forward. It doesn't get the evil people off the street. It doesn't. It's, it's madness. By the way, as Ben said in his video, that the Palestinian Authority pays terrorists to do what they do. Here's a headline from PAL Watch. The Palestinian Authority will pay $2.8 million to families of 1,500 dead Hamas terrorist murderers this month. That's the total amount they're going to divide up amongst those people. Here's the last paragraph of the uh, article. The pal- and we'll put this in the show notes. The Palestinian Authority should be sending a big thank you to the EU countries and Norway, currently the largest funders of the Palestinian Authority, because the Palestinian Authority could not possibly make these terror terror payments without them. These donor countries like to pretend that it's not their money rewarding terrorists, but everyone knows that the PA could not reward terrorists without this generous foreign funding. When payments to teachers, police, and street cleaners are taken care of by international donors, the PA has hundreds of millions of dollars available. It needs to pay for terror. The same thing is true, by the way, when Biden sends $6 million to Iran. Oh, yeah, we're not going to use this for nuclear weapons or to fund Hamas. Yeah, but they'll use the other money that you just freed up for them by giving them $6 billion to do other things. They'll use that other money to do to fund terrorism, money they wouldn't have had to do so before. So it's a, it's just a money laundering thing. It's ridiculous. And everybody knows it. But we choose not to believe it. Just like we choose not to believe that this isn't a squabble over land. It's not a squabble over land. Just like we choose not to believe that there are people out there that literally want to murder other people because of their ethnicity or their religion has nothing to do with that. We don't want to, we just don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe that people are not reasonable. We don't want to believe that people don't all want the same thing. They don't want the same thing. They have a completely different worldview. And by the way, this is not racism to say this because Islam is not a race. Islam is an ideology. Richard Dawkins recognized that. The famous atheist. And it it would be stupid for a Christian to say Richard Dawkins is wrong because he's an atheist. No, that's a genetic fallacy. Just like it's stupid for people to say, well, you can't trust Ben Shapiro because he's a Jew. If Ben Shapiro has his facts wrong, okay, don't trust it. But don't dismiss what he's saying just because he's a Jew on this issue. Don't dismiss just what Richard Dawkins is saying because he's an atheist. If you're a Christian, he might be right, and he is. Islam is an ideology. It's not a race. There are people of every race or ethnicity that are Muslims. Now you say, well, I mean, should should we be involved? Should should Christians or Jews be involved in any of this, in, in wars or, or lawmaking or any of this? Well, of course. 
By the way, not only did Jesus affirm the death penalty, where did he affirm the death penalty, by the way? Well, you can go all the way back to Genesis 9. Jesus, of course, the second person of the Trinity, has written the entire scripture, inspired the entire scripture, I should say. Genesis 9, God establishes government and the death penalty. And it's reaffirmed in Romans 13. And Jesus himself says to Pilate, when Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority to kill you? And Jesus says, you do, but you get that authority from above, meaning it comes from God. So Jesus affirmed the death penalty. And according to Jude, his half-brother, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called, yes, you got it right, Jude, the pre-incarnate Christ killed sinful Jews who worshiped the golden calf at Sinai. Yeah, Jesus did that. Here's what verse 5 says. Now I want to remind you, says Jude, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus did that. This is the English Standard Version, a very accurate literal version of the Bible. Jesus is the one that, that ordered the killing of those 3,000 or so Jews who had worshipped the golden calf. This is what Jude is saying. Of course, the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking. Here's what he says. This is Revelation 2.23. He's talking about one of the churches that has gone astray. He says, I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Yeah, if you don't think Jesus is a judge, you haven't read the Bible. The psalmist, Psalm 7, says this, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If man does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. Now, obviously, this is a, uh, uh, an anthropomorphism, saying that you know, God doesn't really have a sword. He's, it's, 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 a, it's a metaphor. It's a way of saying that, that God will kill people eventually. He kills Ananias and Sapphira, as you know, in the New Testament. So God is a judge. And just war is sometimes necessary, or war is sometimes necessary. In fact, Jesus actually told his disciples in Luke 22, he said, if you now have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. This is Luke 22, 36. Why? Because self-defense is justifiable. Now, Jesus isn't saying you can use the sword to promote religious beliefs, but you can use the sword to protect yourself against evil. Romans 13, God has established government, and here's what Paul says about the government. For he, the governor, or the at this point it was the emperor, for he is God's servant to do you good, but if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. That's what government's supposed to do, protect innocent people from evil. Israel is supposed to protect their innocent people from evil. They have to do it with police inside Israel, just like we have to do it with police inside America. And they have to do it with their IDF, their Israeli Defense Force, to take care of evil coming from outside the country, like out of the Gaza Strip. So government is God's servant, an angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. This is what the scripture says. 
Also, we need to protect the innocent because total pacifism is unbiblical. I just mentioned Romans 13. Also, even prior to the Old Testament law, Abraham used force against aggression when he rescued Lot. That's Genesis 14. That's even before there was a theocracy. God affirmed that Abraham should go do that. And killing in self-defense is justified. Just read Exodus 22.2. The Old Testament military heroes are praised in the New Testament. Just read Hebrews 11. Of course, if there were no police or military, there would be anarchy and a reign of evil on the innocent. I mean, imagine if Hamas was allowed to just freely go into Israel without any resistance. What would happen? We saw what happened. We saw babies murdered. We saw women raped and then murdered. We saw 80% of the bodies that have been found there have been tortured. This is a reign of evil. On the innocent. We need police. We need a military to protect those people. We also see Paul accepting military protection. We see Jesus, John the Baptist, Baptist, Peter, and Paul. They never suggest soldiers should resign, even after they get saved. In fact, Augustine put it this way. Augustine, who really came up with just war theory, said, If the Christian religion forbade war altogether, those who sought salutary advice in the gospel would rather have been counseled to cast aside their arms and to give up soldiering altogether. On the contrary, they are told, and he quotes Luke 3.14 here, do violence to no man and be content with your pay. In other words, he's talking to a soldier here. And... Augustine goes on to say, if he commanded them to be content with their pay, he did not forbid soldiering, unquote. In fact, Augustine said this, true religion looks upon as peaceful those wars that are waged not for for motives of aggrandizement or cruelty, like Hamas, but with the object of securing peace, of punishing evildoers, and of uplifting the good. If that's not what Israel's trying to do now, I don't know what that is. They're trying to secure peace by punishing evildoers and uplifting the good. Now, we'll see how they how they conduct that, but I can already see, I can already hear people on the left after civilians are going to be killed in Gaza, oh, this is Israel's fault. No, it's 100% Hamas's fault. They're the ones preventing preventing civilians from leaving the area. They're the ones hiding behind civilians. They're the one claiming they want their civilians to die for martyrdom and propaganda purposes. This is not Israel's fault. It is completely Hamas's fault. Francis Schaeffer famously said, in a fallen world, some amount of force is going to be necessary. Now, According to just war theory, which has been developed from the scriptures by Augustine and others, there are six there are six tenets of it. And Christians can argue over this, but these seem to be correct. You got to have a just cause. That's number 1. Number 2, right intention. What are you trying to do? It should be to secure peace. Number 3, it's a proper authority, like a just government. Number 4, last resort. You don't you don't go to war Immediately, 
when other avenues of resolving a conflict can be can be taken. Number five, a probability of success. And number six, proportionality. I submit to you that none, none of those tenets of just war theory are met by Hamas. They don't have a just cause. They didn't have the right intention. They're not the proper authority. Well, you might argue that one. Maybe they uh, they were elected. Okay, maybe, maybe we can give them number three. They were a government, a violent government. But number four, last resort, no. Probability of success, no. You're not. You're not gonna. You're not gonna beat Israel. You're just gonna go in there and pick off and torture a bunch of civilians, and then run away. And proportionality. Proportionality. What did civilians, what did women and children do to you that you needed to, without provocation, torture, murder, desecrate them? But I submit to you, if you look at just war theory right now, Israel has every one of these. They have a just cause, the right intention, the proper authority. It's a last resort. They have a probability of success. And proportionality doesn't mean, well, if you killed a thousand of us, we're going to kill a thousand of you. No, it means that you do enough to restore peace. And restoring peace is going to require them to get rid of Hamas based on their charter. Hamas's charter. They want all Jews dead. This is why there is no negotiating. And Biden, let me go back, Obama Trump and Biden got all of this wrong. Biden trying to negotiate, I'm sorry, uh, Obama trying to to uh, have the uh, the Iran deal. You know, you're not negotiating with these people. You see their you see what they're about. They're not they're not going to obey any any sort of agreement they have with you the infidel according to the Quran, the, you know, you can you can lie to infidels anyway. They're not going to obey any. You're going to send them a whole bunch of money. Then they're going to build nuclear weapons with it and fund Hamas with it. That's ignorance. You're putting your head in your sand, Obama. And Trump, you put your head in the the sand as well when you're negotiating with the Taliban to get out of Afghanistan. And then the worst thing potentially anyone has ever done as a United States president with regard to the military is Biden, who when he leaves Americans on the ground in Afghanistan, as well as $8 billion worth of weapons, which have now found their way to a mosque, at least some of them have, you leave Americans on the ground when you could have gotten them out. We're supposed to leave no man behind. And you leave Americans on the ground there and some of our allies. That is unconscionable. Biden should have been impeached. Milley and and Austin should have resigned. But of course they didn't because they're not men of honor. This is, man, when I was in the Navy, James Webb, Secretary of the Navy, whom uh, I actually invited once to come speak to our ROTC unit there in George Washington University a number of years ago. He was a stand-up guy. I didn't agree with him all politically. He turned out to be a Democratic senator from from, uh, Virginia later, but he was a stand-up guy overall. And when Webb, who was a Vietnam veteran, was the Secretary of the Navy, he thought the Navy needed to have 600 ships. And he pled with Congress to get that. And when they said, we're not going to give you 600 ships, he said, I can't get the job done. I'm going to resign. A man of honor, he resigned. Milley and Austin 
didn't get the job done and they're still on the job. Something far worse than failure to get a 600-ship Navy in place. They left Americans on the ground in the hands of the Taliban. I, I submit to you, if Trump did that, right now you'd, you'd still see MSNBC saying, day 512, Americans left in Afghanistan. Yeah. <sighs> Friends, we're never going to get through any of these issues unless, unless we're willing to know and believe the truth. Let me say one other thing about this, two other things. Well, the truth is, as we've been saying here, this is a worldview issue. It's not a land issue. This is what Islam, radical Muslims do. They want all non-Muslims dead, especially Jews. We ought to believe what they say because they're also telegraphing what they believe by what they do. But let me also say this. Do not call these people animals. They're not. I know it's frustrating and it lets off, kind of lets off steam. It lets, lets out some of our moral outrage when we call people who do this animals, but they are not animals. That's dehumanizing them, like what the Nazis did to the Jews. Do not do that to other human beings. They are made in the image of God just like everybody else. They may act like animals, but they are not animals. If they were, they wouldn't be morally responsible. They are morally responsible for what they've done. And that's why the appropriate thing is to give them justice. And justice means that they are going to be targets of the Israeli military because they deserve to be targets for what they've done. They, they not only need to pay for what they've done, they need to be taken out so they don't do it again. Animals are not morally responsible. Hamas is. And I pray for them. We should pray for Hamas. We should pray for the people of Gaza. We should pray for our enemies, as Jesus said. And of course, we should pray for Israel. And the biggest thing we want to pray for is the salvation of all these people. Because that's ultimately the most important thing. Their salvation. So let's pray. Pray for Israel, as Psalm 122 says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And make sure that when you're talking with others about this, if you think they disagree, you start ask them. You start asking them questions. What do you mean by that? How do you come to that conclusion? What evidence do you have of this? Have you read the Hamas Charter? Do you realize that land has nothing to do with this? That this has been going on for fourteen hundred years? If you don't, you have your head in the sand, and you don't want to do that. All right, friends. Lord willing, I hope to see you here next week. In fact, Jay Richards will be on. We're going to talk about gender ideology, and it's going to bleed over into this Hamas. We're going to talk a little bit about that, this Hamas-Israel situation. So don't miss any of that next week. And don't forget, this Thursday, Ohio State, several colleges in Missouri next week, and Auburn as well next week. Hope to see you here in just a few days. God bless.